Welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. My name is Scotty Swingler with the short week and with us already recapping the Texas game on the last episode. This is going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast episode. As you're listening to this, I just got back from Iceland and I'm exhausted and getting ready to get through the rest of the week. So what we've got on this episode is I've got an interview with former West Virginia punter Nick O'Toole. Nick O'Toole is without a doubt my favorite opposing player I've seen Baylor play against. Number one, punters are always your favorite player on the opposing team, right? Because when they play, it means your defense did something right. But Nick O'Toole is memorable. If you have not seen Nick O'Toole, I just want you to go Google him. Nick O'Toole. Tool is T-O-O-L-E, right? Nick O'Toole. Number one, his name is O'Toole. And as you Google him right now, you will see on Google Images that he has the most O'Toole mustache you've ever seen. I swear, if you're not already looking this up on Google Images, you're crazy. It is the classic curly Q on the end Looks like he's got wax in it. He probably did. Mustache. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a th- it is awesome. I've never seen anything like that. So, Nick O'Toole comes to Floyd Casey in 2012. I'm a sophomore, and very quickly, my friends and I locked onto him as somebody we needed to watch on the sideline. We were in the front row at Floyd Casey back when the student section went all the way down right behind the visitors bench. And We locked onto him as someone to watch, and we ended up messing with him the whole game. We created our own cheer for him. I'm going to let him and I talk about that on our interview a little bit, so I won't spoil it all right now, but needless to say, Nick O'Toole is an awesome guy. He was fun to watch play for West Virginia, and he almost has this interesting, like, quasi fan base amongst Baylor fans, especially the students who were right there in the student section in 2012 to mess with him and he messed with us back and it was just a blast he's a great guy we ended up using a hashtag for him for like the next five years it was hashtag boomstash and i don't remember if he created that or if we came up with that i don't even know but the guy is just a thrill he's hilarious he's a pleasure and he's fun to follow and he's fun to keep up with so really thankful he was able to come on so we're going to jump into that interview right now Then I will preview West Virginia, and then we will jump into my rankings for this week. We're going to do the running backs, so the running backs of this decade, uh, top five, and this was one of the hardest position groups to rank. It honestly was, and so I expect a lot of feedback. I expect a lot of disagreement, but I did rank them, and I'm curious to see what you have to say about the way in which I ranked. Baylor's had a lot of good running backs since 2010. A lot of good running backs who weren't here long enough, right? Think of Johnny Jefferson or Terrence Williams. But I think I did a pretty fair job of ranking them one through five. So I'm interested to see what you think. I've babbled long enough. Here's my interview with former West Virginia punter and mustache champion of the world, Nick O'Toole. So for starters, you know, I think a lot of Baylor fans know little to nothing about you. So why don't you introduce yourself and maybe tell us how you ended up playing football at West Virginia and what that experience was like. So what's up, guys? Uh, My name's Nick O'Toole. I'm from California, and I went to – actually, the way I got to West Virginia was I 
went to modern day high school out uh, in Santa Ana. It's a lot of like USC quarterbacks and stuff, like Matt Liner, Matt Barkley, a couple other guys uh, went there. So it's pretty pretty big football school, pretty big uh, athletic school. And I didn't get a scholarship at a high school, so mm-hmm. uh, I went to junior college for a year. And so I went to Fullerton Junior College and then kicked there for a year and uh, went to a couple camps and stuff. And then uh, finally, like, you know, I got my shot uh, and the instructor, not the instructor, but, like, the kind of, the guy who was running the kicking camp, he, uh, like, you know, really liked me, uh, did well at the camp. And so, like, the next week, I think I was on my visit to West Virginia. Like, I already talked by Coach Defoe and all the guys. So, like, I was super stoked. Um and then, like that next, or on that tr- on that official visit, I committed, and then that's kind of how I got ended up in West Virginia. And then, I mean, loved every every bit of it. It was a total change of pace from California, which I love because it's like that's kind of why you go to college. You know, you got to get away and get a different experience. And I nailed that hammer, or nailed that on the head. Yeah, I was literally going to say that's got to be a crazy change of scenery from the west coast to west virginia tell me a little bit more about that and how how about what was the biggest like culture shock going from one to the other for me i mean well so i flew out of lax obviously like it's airports right by the beach like literally you take off and you see the ocean within the first 30 seconds and then you know i land in pittsburgh pennsylvania and it's I mean, I've, I've been and I've traveled, you know, kind of around uh, the country before that, but I have never been to Pittsburgh or anything. And, you know, you land and my dad and I start driving uh, from Pitt down to Morgantown, and it's just total, like, it doesn't, it's not backwards, but for me, like, the first kind of experience, it looks like, okay, there's trees everywhere, there's, like, you know, houses and stuff, like, just right off the highway. And so I was just like, okay, that's pretty, pretty 180 turn from, Palm trees and sand. I was just in a couple hours ago. But I mean, I loved it. I loved the people there, the culture. Everybody's super blue collar. Like, everybody is looking out for, you know, their friends, their family, and all that, which I'm huge on. And so I fell in love with it right away. You were an all Big 12 punter at West Virginia. But if you're not known for that, I think most fans remember you for the mustache. Uh, Where did. Yeah, absolutely. Where did that come from, and what was your motivation behind it? Was it just because? I mean, where did that come from? So my, in high school, like, it was a private school, so we weren't able to have facial hair at all. So, and then I went to junior college, and, uh, like, I think the first couple weeks, I did, like, a different thing with my facial hair. Like, I had, like, a beard the first week, and then I had, like, um, a mustache, and I think I had, like, a curly mustache. It was just, like, evolution throughout the weeks and then I ran out of ideas so I stopped doing that but then when I got to West Virginia I like had like kind of like a longish mullet hair and so I was like okay I guess fine and then I had the mustache and I was like I think I had like a little bit of a beard when I first got there and then when we, uh, when we had pictures and stuff I made sure that I shaved in the mustache because I just wanted to like have a good time with my roster picture I guess up there for a year and you know people have a good time like making fun of it or whatever so uh, again, hit the nail on the head on that one, too, because everybody seemed to love that. You know, I still get jokes. People just call me Stash, and even, like, some of my friends and stuff. Like, even guys at the Fire Academy, they'll see, like, pictures on my Instagram or whatever, and they're like, 
You look 45 years older than what you are. <laughs> No, uh, I was literally, uh, that's so funny you say that. I was literally showing your picture to someone last night because I was like, I'm interviewing Nick O'Toole and, and they were like, oh, who's that? I said, you got to see this mustache. And they were like, that's a college kid? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So it was literally just for kicks. Yeah, it was, yeah no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that works. It was, just, it was literally just for a good time and, you know, want to make people laugh and you know you only get to do this life once you might as well have fun while doing it and you know i live in my dream uh when i was at west virginia you know getting school paid for you know helping my parents out so you gotta have a little fun absolutely no that's great so speaking of having fun and and making people laugh i'm gonna just recap the story real quick so the listeners know where i'm at i'm sure you recall but i was I want to say it was my sophomore year. It might have been junior year, but I want to say it was sophomore year. And we were still playing at Floyd Casey Stadium before they built McLean. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, the students, uh, if you got there early enough, you could literally be on the front row right behind the visitor's bench. Yeah. And so my buddies and I were always there early. I was usually the designated get there way too early and then save everybody's seats guy. And so we're standing there and we notice you before you ever take the field for the mustache. And then, I mean, you quickly, I mean, you know, the punter is probably the favorite opposing player, like at, at every game, but you are the only guy that I can tell you from an opposing team that my friends and I still regularly talk about. And what's so funny is that we started doing an Olay chant with your name in it during yeah. that game. We started screwing with you while you were on the stationary bike, and you started pedaling backwards and messing with us back. And then it quickly became this like Twitter hashtag boomstash, Baylor loves Nick O'Toole thing. Uh-huh. That's how the experience played out for us. How did that play out for you? Well, I mean, it was cool. Like, obviously, we're getting, Say what you we were say, getting our butts kicked. Yes, Yes. Uh, so, I mean, it was, I mean, I I was doing well that game. Um, granted, we punted however many times, so the average can't fall too much. Um, <laughs> so, I, I wasn't worried about that. And I'm, I, for some reason, like, I obviously want your team to do well, but, like, the same thing that you're saying is the punter is definitely the opposing crowd or team or whatever's favorite person on that team. If Because that means the team's not doing well, you know? Right, yeah. And so... Like I said, you know, I like to have a good time, and when it's time, you know, game time and stuff, I like to be serious and stuff. But that game, it was, it felt so long and just drawn out. Obviously, it sucks when you're losing. So losing by that much and stuff, and getting out there and trying to do what you can for the team. Yeah, I was trying to do uh, what I can, but you got to have some fun, and especially when you got because my parents were at that game. No way. Yeah, they traveled to Baylor. And so after, like, we like we still talk about, like, how funny that was, like, because my mom, like, she played soccer all of her life, like, still plays with two, like, after two knee surgeries, like, she's super into soccer. So right when you guys started the Olé, 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 and, like, every, she loved it. She was dying. Like, I was laughing, too, because I was like, I couldn't tell what it was at first. And then I finally, like, caught on and focused in a little bit. And I was like, holy hell, that's funny. <laughs> I, yeah, it was it was hilarious. I loved every bit of it. And like when we finished up, 
Because, yeah, I was kind of messing with you guys. I remember, like, on the stationary bike when you guys yeah. were left, right, left. Yes, yes. And it's like, yeah, that's the fun stuff that, you know, you can't take. Like, granted, it's just a game. Yeah, you want to win and stuff, but when you're in that hole, you can only do so much, and especially at the punter position. <laughs> yeah. You had to have a little bit of fun. But, yeah, Man. after that game and stuff, I saw them, and they started dying. They're like, did you see all the stuff that was going on? And I was like, yeah. And, you, you know, it's... We just got beat by 35 points, so you're trying to not to show like that you had a good time. Right. <laughs> we were definitely laughing <laughs> off in the corner. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, well, if I told you that you were, at least for my generation of students at Baylor, you are easily the most memorable, most still talked about player from an opposing team, what what would you say to that? And what would you that's say to because it is a win, that's and a win. I've got <laughs> yeah, and I've got a ton of I've got a ton of friends who don't know that I'm talking to you right now for this podcast that will, um, this will drop next week right before the game and, and they're going to freak out. What would you, what would you say to them? If anything, I mean, thank you for the memories. Like that's on it. Like that game. Yeah. We lost by a lot. And you know, you guys went on to have a great season, all that. We didn't, but I was like, that was definitely one of those games that will stick with me forever. Just from like the whole atmosphere, like my, cause we came back my senior year to McLean and, I mean, I could hear the chant starting a little bit, but it, it, it wasn't the same because you guys are literally right on us at the old field, and so just like, right. Well, and they cool. moved. Well, and they moved the upperclassmen back behind the freshmen oh, okay. at, at McLean, so we were still doing it up in the like the yeah, upperclassmen part. I remember, but the freshmen never bit. caught on. Yeah, typical freshman. Oh, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell us about. I know that you tried to get in the NFL, and you were a great college punter. You know, I, I go to a school that celebrates Daniel Sepulveda back in the day, two-time Ray Guy Award winner, and then guys like Derek Epperson. We've had some really good punters at Baylor, and you were just as good as any of them. And then I know you were trying to, or you got into a camp, or you were doing the NFL thing. How did that go? What happened? Tell us about that experience for you. So I got invited to the NFL Combine, and obviously, like, you go to your uh, university's pro day and all that stuff. And so I got to the, I went to the Combine, and I didn't – like, because I came back home. Uh, I graduated December and then came back home because, obviously, okay. in West Virginia, it snows, and you can't really punt outside when it's snowing. And so right. like, my, thought, my thought was, like, okay, go back to California, be able to hit some balls, and just kind of prepare for all that. And so then I got went to the Combine and didn't do as well as I had hoped. It just – was a super weird, like, eerie atmosphere at the combine, and uh, I don't think any of the punters that were there that got invited did as well as they had hoped. So, I mean, that's just one of those things, you know, kind of hmm. wide-eyed. You're in the spotlight and everything, right? Uh, but I mean, yeah, we just—I didn't do as well as I had hoped. Um, and then the draft came and went, and I had a couple coaches contact me that were like, "Hey, you know." If you're still on the board, or if you're still on the board after, we'd love to pick you up. Blah blah. And those obviously fell through. Uh, and then finally, my agent let me know that uh, the Vikings, like I got, you know, in their rookie minicamp. So I was there for the weekend, and then they had just built that new stadium. Yeah. And so like all indoor, obviously, and so they right. had their punter uh, Jeff Locke, and it was like the last year on his contract. And so they're okay, talking with uh, the special teams coach, they're like, hey, you know, we want, to, we want to give him another shot and see what he does inside. Because obviously they're going indoors, it's going to be different uh, for the kicking game and everything. So I was like, okay, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I got my shot, and then he, like, still kind of pursue it for a little bit. 
So I came back home, trained for the next like week or two, and then I got uh invite to uh have a try with the Jaguars. So I went there and they had just signed um uh Brad Norman. Uh, yeah. uh wherever he was from. I think the Panthers. And so they just signed him to like some ridiculous contract where he had like four million dollars guaranteed. So I was like, okay, well I know I'm not gonna stay here because they don't want to just take a four million four million dollar hit. Right. But uh so then because I think they brought in like three other guys. So it was just kinda like we're just trying out just for like a camp like spot. And then um after that just was training for like the last like year and a half, two years, like working with my coach, you know, lifting weights, just kinda staying in shape for uh, you know, that call to come in and, you know, here's a tryout here, whatever. But it just didn't happen. So then, you know, I talked to my agent, we parted ways and then you know, I was looking at my dad and like, you know, I could continue to do this or I can move on with my life because like, I've known what I've wanted. I've wanted to be a firefighter since I was little. So, like, that was an easy transition for me because he kind of looked at me and he's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to, you know, give up on this dream? I was like, yeah, and, you know, I'm not giving up. You know, I got what I needed to get out of it. So, it's not really hmm. like, it's not really the end all be all. So, you know, after that, I uh, started pursuing this fire career, and so got all that stuff done, and now, you know, I'm in the fire academy, hopefully uh, able to apply to a couple of departments and get hired pretty soon. Yeah, tell us about that, because that was really fascinating to me, I think, when I started trying to catch back up with you and kind of look at what you were doing and notice that, that you're at the fire academy training to be a firefighter. Tell everybody who's listening where you're doing that, where you'd like to end up, how that's going, what that's like. I think so many of us respect and, you know, obviously a lot of kids idolize firefighters and first responders, uh, but what's it actually like? Yeah, I mean, it's right now it's pretty rigorous. Uh, we just finished up ladders last week, and that's usually kind of like the the point where we lose a couple cadets. But, I mean, it's – so I'm – Doing it out at Marino Valley College. It's probably like 20 minutes from my house in Corona, California. Um, and it's a 12-week academy. I know there's a couple others that, you know, the weeks vary, but are just 12 weeks, and uh, we're the eighth week now. And so, you know, we just get, you know, learn stuff, get tested on it, learn stuff, get tested on it. Obviously, it's firefighting. Um, my dad, he was in law enforcement for the last 30 years, and my mom's mm. a a neonatal nurse, so kind of that civil service duty, I guess, calling has mm-hmm. kind of always been in me. And so, like I said, I've always wanted to be a firefighter, and so just, you know, having that ability to, and obviously having the mindset, you know, being able to give back to the community and everything is huge. And, you know, I want to be the little light that you see on somebody's worst day, because obviously when mm-hmm. somebody's calling the fire department, it's not like, they don't want to say hi, like they're in desperate need of something. So that's kind of my thought process in the whole thing. And, you know, I'm excited to get started and kind of move towards that goal. Where would you hope to get hired? Um, like I said, my dad was in law enforcement in the city of Orange. And I think I'd want to get hired there just because, you know, he, growing up, that was kind of like his city, obviously. And, uh, so now it's like, okay, well, I think it'd be kind of cool if I worked in the same city that he did. 
Man, that's so cool. Well, I think I can speak for anybody listening and certainly for myself when I say that that's awesome. And thank you before I know you have not maybe fought any big fires yet or or saved lives yet. But man, we need we cannot have enough people in our country, obviously, who would give their lives to, to serve and to put their lives at risk to save people. So thank you for doing that, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know everybody else who has served and, you know, done all the cool stuff, they they appreciate it as well. So Man, I think that's all I had for you. Do you have any uh any final word, any final thing? This is your open microphone for a few hundred Baylor fans who would tune into this podcast. Any last words for us? Hey, go ears, baby. I'm excited for the game. Well, let's talk about that real quick, actually. How much do you still keep up with the football program? Obviously they were looking really good and had a Weird game in Ames. Ames screws with people, Nick. It's, Ames, it's a trap game every year, it, like whether it's yes. a home game or an away game. Like it's they're always sneaky good, and you get them right at the middle part of the season, like we did. Like right, they're they're hitting their you know stride. So mm-hmm. me and my buddies, who we all graduated together, we were a couple years apart. We're all in like a group chat and stuff, and so we've been having like this little ritual on Saturdays when it like comes game time. We all get on like. Snapchat, uh, the FaceTime Snapchat now, uh-huh. and yeah. you'll see like you'll see like eight different faces on the thing, and you know it's a pretty good time. And so we'll just kind of talk about that stuff. But uh, I usually try and make it out to one game a year. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's the team is looking really good, and then obviously like we said, you know, Ames Iowa is always a little bit of a a hurdle, and. Uh, it was just one of those things, you know, the offense wasn't doing too hot. We couldn't get any points on the board. Defense couldn't stop Montgomery and um, couldn't get any turnovers. And so it's just, especially, in just, you know, we got to be able to flip the field a little bit more uh, and help out our defense because if you, you do the ball. You would see that field, as the big key. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. If yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ball, you know, 30-yard line or midfield, you know, it's 50% chance that they're going to score. I mean, Rather than putting them inside the twenty and inside the ten, you got to go eighty yards and ninety yards to to get some right. points. But you know, I'm excited. Hopefully, they'll bounce back this week, and uh, we'll get back on that horse. So, tell me this: How much have you gotten to watch Baylor at all? I know you don't care, obviously, but have you seen? <laughs> I'm sure you at least know kind of how the season has gone. What yeah. do you know? What have you seen about Baylor, and how do you feel? I mean. Let me just tell you, we feel like Morgantown is a crazy place to play. I think one reason is just the distance. It's the longest trip we make every year when we travel out there. And then two is, I mean, that those are some great fans uh, yeah. out there in Morgantown. And so I know Baylor fans, I think, are approaching this game with some cautious optimism, you know, hoping we can kind of get something, but knowing that it's going to be a stretch. How do you see that matchup coming down? I think it'll be a good match. I think... Did you guys come off of? Do you guys have a bye week this week as well? We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think that'll help. Obviously, just because you're kind of able to take a week easy, you know, recover from the injuries from the prior weeks and all that. But uh, I mean, I think I think West Virginia is going to come out hot. I think they have that bad taste in their mouth. You know, right. ranked six, and then you get beat by an unranked team that drops you down seven spots or whatever it is. So I think they're going to come, and I just know the strength staff and all the coaches, like they have that bad taste in their mouth too. Right. I mean, like I, I can just tell cause you know, our DC, uh, Tony Gibson, like he's from West Virginia. He's a coal mining kid. Like he's hard nosed blue collar. Like he's ready to go to battle. 
and it, obviously everybody knows Dana. <laughs> right, he's, yeah. He's going to get fired up over everything. So I think they're going to come out ready to go. I think uh, it's going to be a good game, obviously, just because, you know, Baylor's coming off that bye week too. I think it'll be uh, interesting to see, you know, how each team bounces back, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. But definitely, I think that Morgantown definitely is that home field advantage that we need. I agree. I think if the game was in Waco, I'd feel a lot more confident. I think it's going to be fun, man. I think you've got two of the best, if not the best, two quarterbacks in the conference. The two, and I will say this pretty confidently, the two best receiving duos in the conference, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you've gotten to watch Jalen Hurd play after coming over from Tennessee and switching to receiver, but he's a monster. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, it'd definitely be a good matchup for both offense and defensive sides of the ball. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This this was fun. Uh, it's good to talk to you after tweeting back and forth and, right. and messing with you that way for a few <laughs> years. So I really appreciate it, dude. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate you guys having me on. And, you know, anytime you need anything, just let me know. A big shout out and a thank you to Nick. Man, that guy is awesome. I had never talked to him before that interview. We have interacted on Twitter a few times, but for him to let me call him and get him on the podcast, it was extremely gracious and great. And he was hilarious. I mean, you heard me laughing. I just thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and have enjoyed keeping up with him and following his career. Lots of respect for what he's doing, becoming a firefighter. Lots of respect for how he handled his success at West Virginia and in his life. So thanks again so much, Nick. We really appreciate it. Uh, Maybe we'll have you on again soon. Looking ahead to this game on Thursday, I've got to tell you, there's two sides of me here when I'm looking at this game. On one hand, I want to be extremely optimistic. You heard my optimism after the way we played against UT. I thought we played excellent. I thought we finally looked like a football team that can compete for championships down the road. That being said, West Virginia is still the vastly better football team, I think, this season. I don't think that will last more than the next season. I think by this time next year, we will probably be on par or better than they are. But right now, we're not. And do not underestimate West Virginia because they lost names. Don't make the mistake of underestimating them because they lost in Ames. Iowa State seems to beat a top 10 team almost on a cycle every year in Ames. It happens like all the time. Do you remember Oklahoma State going in there number two and losing? It just happens. And West Virginia's offense is built around the big play, and our defense is guilty of giving up a lot of the big play. We didn't against Texas, and that was an improvement, but we just might against West Virginia quite a few times. I think West Virginia is going to come out pissed and play really well because they're angry they lost. They're angry that this one loss probably puts them out of the contention for the playoff, probably puts them out of the Big 12 title hunt. Maybe not, but it might. And furthermore, we're playing in Morgantown. Ames is probably the like scariest, most uh, we might lose to a worse team here place in the Big 12. Morgantown is not far behind it, probably number two in terms of places that are scary to go play. Still water as well, but Morgantown is not an easy trip. Those West Virginia fans are real, and they're awesome. You heard me and Nick talking about this just a little bit ago. I'm really worried, and so I think as I look at this game and tune in to Please Bear With Me, the show on Wednesday night at 9 p.m., because we'll talk about this a little bit more. I think Baylor's going to play really well. I think 
We've shown a lot of improvement through the last three or four weeks. I think the bye week will help. Granted, West Virginia had their bye week as well, so both teams will be well-rested. West Virginia's going to come in angry. I think Baylor's going to come in confident. And I know I predicted a shootout for Baylor-Texas, and that didn't happen. I'm predicting a shootout again against West Virginia in Morgantown. I think Baylor's offense will roll and play very well. I think West Virginia's offense will roll and play very well. I think our defense will make some big plays. I think we'll force some turnovers. I think their defense will make some big plays and maybe force turnovers, if nothing else, just because we're on the road. And I think this is a big test for Charlie Brewer. I know playing in Austin was a big test for him, and he played really well. In fact, I think Pro Football Focus had him ranked as the best quarterback in the Big 12 the week we lost to Texas, which surprised me, but at the same time, it didn't. This might be his biggest test as a quarterback yet, honestly. Playing against Will Greer, who is another one of just the great gunslingers in the Big 12. He'll be picked in the first round or two of this next NFL draft if things continue the way they have. Playing on the road, playing against another great quarterback, Chuck is going to have maybe his biggest test yet as a young quarterback. I'm really interested to see how he does. I think he does well. I don't know if we have enough to win. And I know I've kind of been the cautious, like, optimist slash halfway pessimist this year, but I just, I've never thought we were going to be able to win in Morgantown or Ames this year. The more the season goes on, the more I believe that. And so, Give me West Virginia in about a seven-point game. I think Baylor plays well. I think Baylor keeps it close. Overcoming an angry team and overcoming that Morgantown crowd will be tough. And so I see Baylor losing by probably seven. Would not be surprised if we win. But I'm going to take West Virginia by just a little bit, and we'll see what happens. The other thing is, though, anything can happen on a Thursday night. Thursday night games can get weird just because it's an odd schedule for teams. So I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be fun. And I think you heard Nick and I talk about it a little bit. Now you've heard me talk about it a little bit more. That's all I've got. Tune in to Please Bear With Me, the show, Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Central to hear more. All right, we're going to move forward with my rankings for this decade, best players of this decade by position. We've done quarterbacks, we've done linebackers, and now we're going to do running backs. And I've got to tell you, this was a challenge, and I've got to tell you, I've changed this list multiple times, including right before I recorded this, right? So this was difficult. And what I'm going to say before I jump into the list, the top three are obvious. You can name them right now. How you order them is a challenge. I'm not going to lie. I stand very, very strongly by the way I ordered them, but I would not get angry if you ordered the top three in any particular order. Four and five on this list is where it gets hard, is where it gets real hard. And I've rotated a few guys in and out of those two spots. And this is where I've landed. Would love to hear your feedback on Twitter. Here are the top five Baylor running backs of this decade. Number five, I've got Glasgow Martin. Listen, Glasgow Martin's always going to go down underrated because he played behind Lake Seastrunk, but that guy was the yin to Lake Seastrunk's yang. He was the thunder to Lake Seastrunk's lightning, and he was so pivotal for that success we had in 2012. Remember the huge bowl game he had against UCLA going out on a bang? Man, I love Glasgow Martin. And, you know, he's not a guy that ever put up huge numbers because, like I said, he was playing alongside other studs like Ganaway and then Lake. But I love Glasgow, man. Big power back. 
had surprising speed for a power back. Always seemed to fall forward and make the play when he needed to. Nothing but love for Glasgow. I think he's living in Austin now and seems to be doing well. Maybe we need to reach out to him and see if we can get him on the podcast. But yeah, Glasgow Martin comes in at number five. At number four, I've got Jay Finley. Now, you may forget about Jay Finley because honestly, he's not a back that was ever very flashy. But he was the first back to have real success under Art Bryles. He was the first Baylor running back to rush for 1,000 yards in this streak we had from 2010 to 2016, where we had a 1,000-yard rusher in each of those seven seasons. Jay Finley kicked all that off in 2010, played really well alongside Robert Griffin III, was a very versatile back, could catch it out of the backfield, could run over people, could run by people. But mostly he was just solid, man. You can't really say anything bad about Jay Finley. Great running back. Averaged 6.2 yards a carry his senior year, that year that he rushed for over 1,000 yards. Also had 12 touchdowns. Jay's a guy that's been kind of lost in the shuffle due to all the rest of the just crazy talent we've had at running back. But he's got to be on this list. He comes in at number four. Let's move into the top three. And remember, I just said it. These top three are obvious as to who. It's really hard as to how you rank them. But I feel very, very strongly about this top three. As I've shuffled these rankings, I have never shuffled the top three. This is how I see it. At number three, I've got Shock Linwood. Shock Linwood is Baylor's all-time leading rusher. He was extremely balanced as a back. That's what he'll always be remembered for was his balance, his ability to stay up, to stay upright and run ahead hard. He ran with a lot of speed. He had deceptive power for his size. He was a littler guy who could really run through some people. He was super fun to watch. Came onto the scene in a big way in 2013 when Lake Seastrunk was really struggling with some injuries. I think the reason I put Shock at three and not higher is the way that his Baylor career ended. And maybe that's not fair. And if you feel like that's not fair, that's fine. But he really ended and left Baylor on a sour note. Broke the school career rushing record and then left with, I mean, it's well documented. He did not treat Jim Grobe well as the head coach. He acted mad. I mean, refused to go in on certain plays, refused to play on certain downs, made himself go into the game on plays when he wasn't supposed to go in. Just completely no regard for the coaching staff that was there after Art Bryles was fired was really a head case on and off the field. And, you know, listen, he's one of Baylor's best running backs ever because he does have the stats to back it up. He was exciting to watch, and especially for two years there, 2014 and 2015, he was just incredible. But I can't put him higher than three with the way he went out and left a sour taste in my mouth. And furthermore, if I was starting a team tomorrow, I'd much rather have the next two guys on the list. So let's move to number two, and here's where you might throw rocks at me. Lake Seastrunk. I know a lot of you, maybe all of you, would put Lake number one on your list. And you all know who I've put at number one, and so I'll get there in a minute. But Lake Seastrunk, let's just talk about why he's top two for sure. And number one probably on several of your lists. As many fun, dynamic players as we've had at Baylor this decade. Robert Griffin III, Corey Coleman, Kendall Wright, Terrence Williams, guys like Ahmad Dixon and Traven Blanchard who is just fun to watch. Linebackers like Bryce Hager, defensive linemen like Andrew Billings, Bo Blackshear, James Lynch. Out of all of these guys, I don't think anybody was more exciting to watch play-to-play than Lake Seastrunk. 
even Robert Griffin, right? You just never knew what was going to happen. Lake Seastrunk is one of those rare running backs that you thought every single time he touched the ball that he could go to the house. And he could. And he did. And he has more of those long, memorable, crazy touchdown runs. I particularly think about the one he had right at the gut to really put the knife into the stomach of number one Kansas State in 2012 that really cemented that 2012 team's legitimacy. And of course, I think about the run he had that same season against Oklahoma State where he pulled a hamstring halfway in the run. This was like a 70-yard touchdown run. He pulls a hamstring halfway through it and then continues to outrun the defense on a badly pulled hamstring. Like is Basically, go watch that highlight if you haven't watched it in the last six months. Go watch his touchdown run against Oklahoma State where he's running on one leg for about 30 yards and still can't get caught by their defensive backs. Unreal, man. Lake Seastrunk is without a doubt the most athletically gifted running back we've had at Baylor probably ever and was the most exciting player to watch in this decade. But I have to give number one to Terrence Ganaway. I just have to. Terrence Ganaway is the best running back that we've had this decade. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of mine and because we've had him on the podcast multiple times, although he is a friend of mine. But the numbers speak for themselves. As a senior in 2011, he had never been the lead back before, right? And then he steps in in 2011 and he gets 1,547 yards that season, a Baylor school record that I don't think will be broken for a long time. He averaged 6.2 yards a carry. He had 21 touchdowns that season. Guys, it's that simple, man. Terrence Ganaway was the best running back Baylor had this decade. It was because of the numbers. It was because he was a great combination of power and speed. I hear all the time, well, he wasn't very fast. Go watch his touchdown run against Washington in the Alamo Bowl. He outran everybody. 80 yards, I believe. He'd correct me if if he was here, right? unbelievable run against Washington. And he had lots of those, man. He had lots of long runs. He was fast. He could juke people. He was just also huge and strong and could run over people too. I mean, Terrence Ganaway was a complete back. He, I think, was the most NFL-capable running back we've had in this decade. And he did have a couple of different training camps where he just didn't quite make the team. I think with the Rams and the Jets were the two teams that really gave him a long look. But man, I've got nothing but good things to say about Terrence Scanaway, the player. So I rank him above Lake because his big year is better than anything Lake put up. And here's the other reason I rank him over Lake. It's mostly because of availability. I mean, I think you can honestly say that Ganaway and Lake were equal in terms of just their contribution to the teams they were on, right? But Terrence Ganaway played full seasons for Baylor. Terrence Ganaway was reliable, didn't get hurt, worked hard. Lake was always dealing with those nagging injuries, you know. He missed a couple of games his junior year, which was his final year at Baylor. And even the games he played in, it never felt like he played a full game. I mean, that's part of why Shock Linwood broke out in 2013 is because he got a lot of carries because Lake Seastrunk was hurt. To Lake's credit, he did average over seven yards a carry both years that he was Baylor's primary ball carrier. Unbelievable. But I've still got to give the edge to Ganaway as far as availability and toughness. And then the other thing I have to give to Terrence Ganaway is his intelligence. You've heard it on the podcast. Terrence Ganaway knows football. 
He's a very intelligent guy. He was a very intelligent running back. Lake Seastrunk, on the other hand, it's famously documented. I'm not ripping on the guy. I love the guy. But it's well documented that the only reason he did not stick on an NFL roster is because he could not learn the playbooks. Especially with the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Dallas Cowboys just straight out came forward and say, we like Lake. He's the most talented running back on this roster. He doesn't know the playbook. He doesn't know the plays. He doesn't know where to line up. Again, not trying to rip on the guy. If you're ranking these running backs, I have to take all that into account. Terrence Ganaway, best single season by a Baylor running back ever. Available always. And is the far more intelligent player. And so if you consider their talent toting the football about equal, which I do, got to give it to Terrence Ganaway. All right, friends, that's all I've got for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Make sure to check out Please Bear With Me, the show on Periscope and Facebook Live on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Central Time. I look forward to talking to you then. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Give us a good review. Share us with your friends. I'd really appreciate it if you would do any of those things. So again, thanks for the support. Happy to do this every week. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Let's go beat the Mountaineers on Thursday night. Sick em Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast. Go check them out, Iron Kids, on SoundCloud. I've been Scotty Swingler, and this is Please Bear With Me. Please Bear With Me.